0: Listeners, start your engines. episode 55. Rob here. On this episode, we're completing our nine-part Planet of the Apes mega-series with a discussion of 2017's War for the Planet of the Apes. I'm joined by David Rosen of the Piecing It Together podcast to talk about this most recent Andy Serkis-led, Matt Reeves-directed final installment of the reboot trilogy for Planet of the Apes. And until next year's kingdom of the planet of the apes the most recent installment in the franchise as always you can find more episodes of this show on apple podcasts spotify good pods and other podcatchers as well as crookedtable.com as i said you have uh, if this is your first time joining this mega series there are eight episodes where we go through 1968's planet of the apes the entire five film original series the tim burton reboot and uh, all three of these andy circus films so definitely check those out. Please go ahead and give us a rating and review wherever you're listening to this episode. For now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump into our conversation about the final film in our Planet of the Apes mega-series, the longest one we've done to date. So very exciting to finally get to this point. 2017's War for the Planet of the Apes. They must pay. I've offered
1: you peace. I've showed you mercy. You talk about mercy? No matter what you say, eventually you'd replace us. That's the law of nature. So look what you have done?
0: What did the humans promise you? No matter what you do, you'll never be one of them. You are <laughs>
1: the beginning Radio. apes together strong we are the beginning Radio. apes together
0: strong have you come to save your apes to franchise detours where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line on this episode we're finishing up our extremely long (laughs) planet of the apes mega series uh with 2017's war for the planet of the apes and i'm honored to welcome to the show from piecing it together podcast david rosen welcome to the show sir
1: thank you so much for having me uh for a, a really interesting one to talk about i think
0: Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. And it's, I'm just happy to have a, a friendly voice on the other end of this uh, conversation, because this is the ninth movie in this franchise. there has been a lot of conversations of like, are we just doomed as a species? Like, is this just, you know, we're just going to rinse and repeat our, our same like failures on a global scale? Yeah, uh, well, so we, I, I
1: may be a I may be a friendly voice, but I do think
0: we're doomed. <laughs> but that's maybe another
1: conversation to have.
0: So. Well, that's why we that's why we do things like podcasts to keep ourselves yeah. keep our, yeah keep ourselves distracted from that fact. Good start, good start. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> tell people uh, who haven't for some reason heard piecing it together all about what your show is, uh, what the concept behind your show is.
1: Sure. While I'm piecing it together, we take a look at a movie through the lens of what other movies might have inspired it. And so we will take that featured film and use it as a jumping off point to go back and forth discussing all of these puzzle pieces, which are other movies we want to bring up and talk about various connections and uh, various ways that we think maybe there might have been a little bit of an influence going on with the filmmakers. And uh, it's just a fun way to end up with a a great list of recommendations by the end of the episode and uh, other films to go check out if you like the movie that we are covering.
0: Yeah, as of this recording, I haven't gotten a chance to listen to it, but I think I know you just posted the John Wick Chapter Four uh, yeah. like mega episode, so I'm definitely excited to check that out. That that will be an interesting one because that franchise draws inspiration from all kinds of genres and. Uh, you know it's it's a really it's 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 basically like kind of like the matrix which is one of my favorite movies it's a a yeah. synthesis of so many different uh types of storytelling and i think that's Absolutely. that's definitely an interesting one uh yeah. it, since we're talking planet of the apes and we're talking war for the planet of the apes i think it's interesting with this franchise that a lot of these the, the recent trilogy the Puzzle pieces are mostly the older movies and not just because it's a continuous story, but because it kind of takes elements from those first five movies and like remixes them and puts put supplies them in a different way, which I think is, is pretty interesting. It, when you were watching this movie for this episode, were there any like major puzzle pieces outside the Planet of the Apes franchise that jumped out at you?
1: That's a really good question. And it's such a unique film that it's kind of hard to say. I mean, I feel like there's some Western influence in there. Um, But as we talked a little bit, like before we got on Mike, like I haven't seen the original Planet of the Apes sequels in a long time. So there may even be things that I would point to. Uh, if we were, like, getting into this, like, in in depth and, like, really getting into puzzle pieces that Mm. maybe actually were in some of the Planet of the Apes sequels. There's a lot of movie there with (laughs) with all of uh, those sequels. And so there's a lot of themes and a lot of ideas that, uh, you know, maybe have already been explored within the franchise that I haven't even seen yet. And so uh, I I think I'm probably going to have to do the deep dive that you've done at some point.
0: (laughs) Well, we got Kingdom uh, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes in 2024. So I, I... Yeah, I think a lot of people will be. Hopefully, Disney Plus or Hulu will add the full franchise there because now they're all Fox, so they would be, they would fall in that wheelhouse. I really don't understand why they haven't done that already, but, um, but yeah, I one one of the ones that jumped out of me watching it this time, especially, and I think it it did the first time around, uh, was um, Apocalypse Now. Like, there's big Apocalypse Now energy. I mean, Woody Harrelson's basically playing Colonel Kurtz in this movie and shaving his head and certain scenes and everything. It's like, yeah. I'm sure he would say that too. Like, (laughs) I mean, it's pretty clear. It's it's uh, the most obvious one. Yeah, Yeah, for sure.
1: (laughs) If if I could say also like, you know, I, I just, you know, celebrated five years of doing piecing it together and congratulations. uh, Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I mean, 2017 was such a big year of movies for me, including war for the planet of the apes, which was one of my favorite movies of that year. And these movies that make up 2017 were what were on my mind when I was like, I really got to start a movie podcast. And mm-hmm. So, you know, thinking about these things, you know, for this movie and mother and like all, all these like movies that I love so much in 2017, it was definitely what led to the podcast.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, totally. So what was your entry point for the Planet of the Apes? Did you see the original as a kid, first, before, or was it the Burton one? Or, or the, give me a little back backdrop, uh, the background of your history with the apes.
1: So I'm sure I had seen the original uh, back you know, when I was a kid, or, or at least in high school. Um, I, I, I definitely remember watching it. I don't recall if I watched any of the sequels. I probably saw at least one or two of them, but I'm not sure. I remember just like everybody else being disappointed with the Tim Burton one. It was just... Mm-hmm a mess and uh, I haven't seen it since opening weekend. Uh, I didn't really have much in the way of like uh, hype or excitement or anything going into this reboot trilogy. Um, it, it seemed like a weird property to try to bring back, yeah. but immediately I, I loved rise uh, of the planet of the apes and I have loved all three of these movies. I just think, you you know me i'm not like the biggest superhero movie guy and superheroes have definitely you know taken up the conversation for the last 15 20 years and this has been just such a, a much more exciting series for me than a lot of the other stuff that we get in the last 15 20 years
0: yeah i, I definitely and it's funny that you bring up superheroes because i feel like in my previous conversations on rise and dawn that there's a very clear parallel between this trilogy and the Dark Knight trilogy, mm-hmm. uh, in that they were both franchises that were at sort of a downturn with the Tim Burton film with Batman and Robin, where everybody's like, "Well, I guess we're done with that," <laughs> uh, and then came out with this much more sort of, it's cliche to say, but like grounded and gritty, air quotes, uh, yeah. like refreshed version of that, and trying to be like, "Well, okay, this is a ridiculous premise." But how, and what, how, what would this look like if it really was, a, if it was a real thing, if this was really happening, if apes really up, rose up against us, how, how would that even begin? What would, what would be plausible for that? Yeah. And, uh, and came out like, that was the big thing with that first film is that everyone was like, oh there's a new planet of the apes movie. And it's like, oh, I don't want to see it. No, it's actually really good. Like that was the conversation everyone was having that year yeah, when that absolutely. movie came out. And yeah. I think, yeah, go ahead
1: and it's like we joke about it being like dark and gritty and all that but like there's a reason that's become such a cliche and that's because like sometimes it works really really well like with nolan's batman movies and with this
0: yeah well it's the premise as we sort of already alluded to up up top at the beginning of the show that it is already inherently a dark premise (laughs) i mean it's It's humanity's fall is what the story of this franchise is. Humanity's fall and the evolution of apes. And then in, in the, the sequels to the original film, kind of apes repeating some of those mistakes. And yeah. it's sort of the the flip flop of humanity's own folly causes our downfall. The apes rise up and they kind of do this, make the same mistakes as we did. So uh, it's sort of that inevitability and that, that cyclical nature of whatever the dominant species is, we're going to screw it up, basically. We're so uh, screwed. I yeah, know exactly, <laughs> Jesus. Sorry, everybody. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Dawn, I feel like really leveled up on that, and I think a big part of that is Matt Reeves. So he returns to direct this one, mm. uh, but yet somehow this made four hundred ninety million at the worldwide box office, which is down from seven hundred and ten for Dawn. What do you first before we get into this movie specifically? What do you think happened there? Do you think people didn't go to see Dawn? What, do, what were your what are your what is your guesstimation? As to why the box office drop off,
1: well, it, it's always hard to say why people didn't show up in the first place. But I do think mm-hmm. word of mouth may be hurt because, uh, spoiler alert! I like I love War for the Planet of the Apes so much. Mm-hmm. I think this movie is one of the like freshest and most exciting and unique like major blockbuster type movies that we've ever gotten, and so that's why I really wanted to join you on this episode. But um, I, I think that. For the average person that is going to, like, you know, go for, like, a fun summer blockbuster, it is just absolutely <laughs> way too bleak yeah, and dark, is. and there's barely any dialogue, and it's mostly, you know, just apes on a on a quest, and, like, it, it's a very strange movie, and so it's kind of a tough sell and why people weren't excited after dawn and rise that I'm not sure, but certainly once word of mouth got out that like, Oh yeah, this movie is like really weird. I can imagine people not showing up after that point.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it it is, it, it, yeah, it is, it goes to pretty dark places, which again, that's kind of a hallmark of this franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also like the magic trick of this trilogy is that it starts and you're like, okay, James Franco, we know him from the Spider-Man movies and et cetera, et cetera, and like that he's our our entry point. And little by little, you get to this one where it's basically all apes. Your only m- major uh, human characters are the Colonel, played by Woody Harrelson, who's great in this, by the way, which we'll get to, sure. and the little girl Nova who doesn't speak. So uh, everybody else is apes and it's, it's like fully, it's like unequivocally Caesar's movie. You know, I think you can, I think Dawn is also, but you could sort of argue where, well, Jason Clark is sort of the joint lead slash like soft co-lead of that film.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: But this one, it's like, it's Caesar's story and it makes no qualms about that. And I think it's, 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 it's the step forward that could only happen with that sort of middle step that Dawn um, represented.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, a few years ago when uh, Parasite won Best Picture and Bong Joon-ho made that that speech about, you know, like, there's a whole world of cinema out there. You just have to, like, you know, get past the that little one-inch subtitle at the bottom. Yeah. I mean, most of this movie is, like, you know, subtitles and non-speaking. you know speaking. It, it, It's all the apes. Sign language, each other. Yeah. And, yeah, like, that is... I mean, I'm sorry, but it's a tough sell for, like, a mainstream audience. And it shouldn't be because we should be open to all kinds of interesting, uh, you know, different ways of, of storytelling. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of people just aren't into that.
0: Yeah. And it, and it asks, it raises different, difficult questions too, whereas far as, uh, the, the apes kind of turning on themselves, you have, uh, some of the, some of the apes, the Koba's followers, as as we find out in this movie, are turned against Caesar and are working with the humans against the apes. And, and there's a whole, there's a whole kind of going back to the apocalypse now thing. There's a whole sort of war movie dynamic there where, you know, they're, they're turning against their own kind uh, and joining up with the enemy. There's all that, the, the helmets that have like things like monkey killer and bedtime for Mm -hmm. Bonzo, they call them donkeys. Do you think, what do you think about this as is this a credible evolution of the human ape dynamic from, from dawn to war? I think so. Yeah. I think (laughs) uh, yeah. I mean, again, like
1: this is going to be a dark conversation because it has to be because of the subject matter. But yeah, I mean, this is where things would go. I think in this dark and realistic gritty scenario of, of the world basically ending, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's like a totally naturalistic uh, progression of, of how people would react to all this going on.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like how they at the beginning of this movie, they have the opening text that tells us it's two years after dawn and it sort of gets us back into the context of this trilogy mm-hmm. where, you know, they're saying first there was a rise of. You know, the apes rose up first, and then there was a dawn, and then now it's leading to war. Like I, it's it it's an interesting approach that Matt Reeves took to this property, in that this is like full-on war movie slash kind of biblical epic in a way. Yeah. How do you, you know, do you, what are your thoughts on that sort of switch in genre? Because it it does feel, even though it's akin to Dawn in a lot of ways, it does have a very different tone and a different arc for uh for caesar this time around
1: yeah absolutely i mean it is it is a different tone in that it's darker in that it's this uh this this quest type movie and it, it's mostly just them uh traveling a lot of the movie is them traveling mm-hmm. and surviving and um you know a, another thing like kind of uh, akin to that is uh you know we're talking about like maybe why it didn't do as well. I remember a big part of the conversation around this movie when it came out being the length, which uh, yeah. two hours, two hours and 20 minutes. <laughs> doesn't that
0: seem quaint? Nowadays? It really does. <laughs> yeah. Like, we just was- saw a three hour John Wick movie. Yeah. So Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, now now everything is like cl- getting closer to 3 hours and like this was like the longest summer blockbuster ever or something at the time. Like everybody was like complaining about that. So, yeah, I don't know, maybe that was part of it too, but that does add to the whole scope of the whole thing. Like you said, this is more of an epic than it is just like a straight up action movie or anything.
0: Yeah, it's more reflective, I think is what is why the length maybe wore some people down is that it's mm-hmm. not, there, there are moments of action, but even when there's moments of action, it's usually, it's not <laughs> thrilling action. It's not like fist pumping. It's, you know, uh the colonel sneaks in and, and kills Caesar's family. Yeah. It's like that kind of action. It's like, Oh no, I don't like that. That leaves a bad taste in my mouth. That's, <laughs> or it's apes turning against apes. You get that scene early on where the gorilla, I forget which one it was. I don't know. I don't think it was winter, but it might've been, but the gorilla is watching all the apes get attacked by the um, by Alpha and Omega, which, by the way, is a callback to Beneath the Planet of the Apes. That was the the new nu- spoilers for that movie, the nuclear bomb that the mutants basically are uh, are worshiping. And I know now, oh, having man. not seen that movie in forever, you're like, "Wait, what did he just say?" And <laughs> what is that? How is that in this franchise? It is. It is. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but he's watching the apes get, you know, get attacked, and it's like this sort of slow motion. Like I think the score even drops out for a moment. Uh, this like senseless death and destruction. Like it's that kind of action. Uh, it's a it's a lot more high stakes kind of um, character driven drama, I yeah. think. And the, you know, they even get the sequence where um, one of the apes I can't remember one of the apes is getting whipped, and and Caesar screams out, "Leave him!" and They're like they're basically torturing Caesar. They're gonna kill Caesar, and then um, oh my god, I'm blanking on everybody's name. Uh, Lake is starts working. They start working again to kind of it it very very much sort of like Spartacus vibes.
1: Sure, yeah, absolutely. There's there's a lot of like enslavement going on and and, and torture and like yeah, I mean it it, it's so dark. It's incredibly dark, but like it's so well, I I guess like synthesized into this big sci-fi story.
0: Right. Yeah, I think it's, um, I like what it does for for the evolution of, like I said, the apes and the humans and their dynamic. But it also gives us a little more, you know, a little more of a big picture perspective as far as the simian flu that started in the first movie. Now it's sort of mutating. I, and I, I love that we get that element of it that, you know, we take another huge step toward the the planet of the apes of the original film here
1: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely I, another uh series that um you know the the most recent one was at the same time uh alien covenant was yeah. also trying to like kind of bridge the gap between like this whole prequel series and then making your way to the you know what happened in the first one an alien and uh you know, we'll see if that ever gets to happen. But, but yeah, you know, I know that's another story. But but yeah, also similarly, taking like a incredibly dark direction to get you there. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I don't know what that is. Uh, it, I I love it though.
0: Do you see this as a reboot, like com- st- complete start over of the franchise, or do you see this as do you see these as prequels, like incrementally l- l- working their way up to the original movie, or does this feel like it's kind of a clean slate?
1: It was my understanding that it was supposed to be part of the overall story that, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that it is supposed to be a prequel, although where it it was going to take liberties with it. And so like, it it didn't have to be completely beholden to the, to the originals, but that yes, this is like leading towards the events of the original movies and, uh, you know, whether or not all of it would be a part of the future of the story, you know, that r- would remain to be seen. And of course we've got kingdom coming up. So where that's going to fit in, if it's going to be a side story or like in between and continuing to bridge that gap, it's going to be interesting to see where they go.
0: Yeah. Cause there's, I mean, there's obviously a lot of room for development there. Uh, but yeah, so the, so the big, the big contribution here is that the simian flu is mutated. So, the you know the humans are starting to develop the 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 losing the ability to the ability to speak and sort of their cognitive function, which I think is a really interesting way to get us closer to the to that point of the original film, but still tie it you know kind of it's the the sort of unifying approach to trilogies right where the third movie kind of swings back around to the first movie this again to bring up the the dark knight uh trilogy like this is also has a lot of like dark knight rises like it's the league of shadows again it's coming back here it's the simian mm-hmm. flu kind of evolving the both of those movies also have uh the hero in captivity for a long period of time and yeah. sort of dealing with the consequences of their their part in in the death of the villain from the previous movie here i think you know, we get the the ghost of Koba a little bit, which yeah. I love so much because that character is amazing. Um, so yeah, I like that we 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 sort of it, it brings it ties back to the simian flu thing, and it, it gives Matt Reeves and his you know and his team a little bit of leeway to get get us closer to that point without having to you know time jump hundreds of years, which I think you know in the original movie that's we I think we more assume that that was just an evolutionary thing that, that humanity sort of lost that ability over, you know, centuries. So sure. here it's, it's, it's tied back to the simian flu, which I think is a good choice for the, for the purpose of, you know, tying this trilogy together.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I forget how, how uh spoilery can we get in
0: this? Let's go for it. It's a, okay. it's a, yeah, it's several years guys. You, okay. you, you can check
1: this movie out. Yeah, because <laughs> I was just gonna say, um, I, I guess this could even count as a puzzle piece. Um, I, I love uh, the way that the simian flu like comes into play there, and how it's the ultimately the way that Woody Harrelson is taken down reminded me mm-hmm. a little bit of uh, War of the Worlds, in that it's not like brute force that you know takes down the, the yeah. enemy in the long run. It's it's their uh, you know falling victim to this disease basically,
0: right? And in, and in a very innocuous way. Yeah. And it, like, exactly. you know, Caesar went in there to kill him and ultimately didn't even need to have, didn't have to. And instead it becomes like an emotional moment for him. It's an emotional catharsis. Like he's he's tearing up watching this man struggle, just realizing like how far that he's come and how helpless the colonel is in that moment and how, you know, the the darkness of their, the, their situations has sort of corrupted their soul. I love that the... There's a moment in this movie where Caesar, obviously, you know, his, um, what is it? B- bright Eyes, I think? Blue Eyes. Blue Eyes is the son. Bright eyes, eyes is from the original yeah. movie. I'm doing all these conversations in a relatively small period of time. So it's all blending together at certain points. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Blue Eyes and Cornelia are gunned down by the colonel at the beginning of the film. So he's like out for revenge. I love that it's a personal mission too. It's not, I have to protect my people. It's, they took my family away from me. I'm pissed. Yeah. I'm going to this really dark place, which is again anyone that has people in their lives that they love can relate to so instantly. It's like again bring up John Wick for the, like the fourth time, they killed my dog and they took my car. I'm pissed off. I'm going after them. Like yeah, everybody be like, well, yeah, it's justified. A Western
1: sci-fi, yeah. exactly. It's all of it. Yeah, exactly. Uh,
0: so he's telling Maurice, uh, you know, they must pay, and then he says, "Now you sound like Koba. So yeah. I love that. It's it's showing that. Yes, Coba was going about things obviously in the wrong way, but it's it doesn't it's it's uh, it, it doesn't take a lot for for uh, an ape or a human to sort of get to that place. They just have to suffer the the correct <laughs> the correct events in their life to get them there. And I think that's yeah, it's an interesting sort of character study of Caesar.
1: Absolutely, and, and he gets the chance to see like just how not that dissimilar, you know. That he is to humans as well like they both have their you know uh, dark sides
0: and, and and light sides and uh, that's constantly at war yeah absolutely i think we we also since we're talking about caesar and his arc we got to give props to andy circus because man he's, he's amazing in these things so, so good, good.
1: what well, one day uh one day there i mean we we to bring up john wick again we, we need to yeah. stunt oscar <laughs> And, and we need a motion capture Oscar, motion and,
0: capture or yeah. voice. Like I always thought, just call it something like best alternative media performance or whatever that we could put voiceover in there. You could put they mo-cap. should just
1: call it the Andy Circus Award. I
0: mean, <laughs> yeah, or that. Let's
1: just, let's just do that. Come
0: on, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, between this, Don, uh, obviously all the stuff he did with Gollum, like it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's crazy. He he carries this movie, and there's there's no way that. You could watch this and be like, oh, you know, not not see his performance sh- shining through I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He's created such a character that uh, like lives on and is like like it's it's the heart of the whole film and it, it feels so incredibly real. And you see the visual effects like they're they're getting better from movie to movie. You yeah. know, obviously, they're not 100 percent there from the first one, but you see them grow with his performance and what he's able to uh, actually get through in the character. And so, you know, he's evolving with the tools that are evolving and, uh, it's just incredible by the end of the, this, these three movies.
0: Yeah. You, you also see a character who was very, and it's like you get the full spectrum he's of his life in the course of this trilogy. And so you see him evolve and, you know, feel the weight, the burden, responsibility of, having a family, having a, a, you know, a tribe essentially to protect. And then in this movie, him being completely broken and shattered by loss Mm -hmm. and, uh, and just descending into the darkest parts of himself. And I think that's, it's really interesting to see this character who we were introduced to as a baby chimpanzee climbing around on John Lithgow and, and James Franco. And now here he is like out for blood. And I think it's, it's, um, you know, it's it's ultimately again this this franchise is very cynical and and pessimistic about a lot of things, but I think ultimately hopeful about the endurance of the human or ape spirit and sort of staying tr- trying to to stay true to your moral code even when you're you know you're going through unbelievable tragedy and stuff so it's yeah. yeah from a character perspective it's not quite as bleak but from a narrative perspective it definitely you know the the thematic through line of this trilogy and this franchise is definitely in place
1: yeah absolutely you, you know while we're talking about visual effects um you know obviously it's hard to talk about visual effects without bringing up avatar which yeah. I, I think you know is i mean nothing's gonna top james cameron and 10 years and Billions of dollars worth of like, you know, <laughs> trying doing everything he throws into those movies. But um, I, I I do truly think the best visual effects I've seen in pretty much any movie is towards the beginning of War for the Planet of the Apes when they're first walking into the village. And you're mm-hmm. seeing it uh, from Caesar's point of view and everybody is just kind of welcoming, welcoming him uh, up that like uh, little bridge into their little village. And it's just it looks so incredible and so real and so uh, just just beautifully made that it's it's really every time I see it, it just really, really gets me every time.
0: Yeah, it's every time I've seen these movies, I never I never quite get used to how real they look, especially now watching all of them. For this podcast and going back and watching the ones where they have like janky, like a lot of the, the background apes have like masks on. And mm. it's very apparent they're wearing just like cheap, crappy, like gorilla masks. Um, obviously, the the Roddy McDowell, Kim Hunter, those masks, those makeup, the prosthetics hold up pretty well, all things considered. But a lot of the, the rest of the apes, <laughs> not so much. And then to get to here where they look so almost near photorealistic, particularly in this movie. Yeah. It's, it, it is, yeah, it is very striking. And the fact that none of these three movies, believe it or not, won Best, best Visual Effects at the Oscars. Like none of these three, which I don't understand. I don't know how, about, I, don't, I don't have offhand what did win, but I remember none of them winning. And I I thought that maybe this one would be like, you know, the Return of the King. They wait till the end of the trilogy and then they finally give it an award. Yeah. Uh, but no, they didn't do that. And uh, they suck. Another, another reason why the Oscars... <laughs> uh, tend to get it wrong very often, yeah. more often than not. But this um,
1: series goes s- strangely under the radar. I I, I don't yeah. know what it is like, and and I know I remember critics like raving about it when it first came out. But then, like you said, like the box office, it didn't quite do. I mean, it, it was still a major hit, but like it didn't quite do as well as maybe they had hoped. And yeah, it just seems to get forgotten about.
0: Yeah. No, on the on the previous episode, uh, my guest uh, Jason from Binge Movies came on to talk about Dawn and both of us were like, this is one of the best blockbusters like period in the last decade. Why is no one talking about it? Yeah. We, you know, in the same in the same breath as The Dark Knight and things like that. Like, why is. Yeah. Wh- we all saw it. We all loved it. And they were like, eh, what else was out there? And to that point,
1: people were surprised when Matt Reeves was announced as the Batman's director, like, is
0: he going to do a good job? Of course he's going to do a good (laughs) job. Did you see his Apes movies? Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you think he brings to this property? Because now we've seen him do Apes, we've seen him do Batman. What is it about his sensibility that works so well for like revamping these IP?
1: I, I don't know for sure about the revamping part what it is that he brings but what I do think he brings just as a filmmaker in general mm-hmm. is uh scale and size but without it being about that like right what when I see like a Denis Villeneuve film like it, it's about the bigness of it all like it's like it's large and that's the point whereas with Matt Reeves it just is and then there's like a lot more to it That's what I I feel about everything that I've seen from him. His films are always like really big, really exciting. And then there's also story and performance and heart and, uh, you know, everything else that you want out of a film.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think even just what we've talked about so far, um, you know, the mythology of this franchise hanging in the balance, there's a mythic quality to this, to Planet of the Apes in general, but he really embraces that, I think. And there's the world building is in place, but again, we're following this one ape on this personal mission, yeah. uh, of revenge, and everything else is just kind of not set dressing because it's integral to his story. But it's it's not it doesn't get lost in the details. I think it's you know, it, and there's a sort of there's a sort of confidence in that approach to this to this project and to the Batman where. Yeah, there's the Riddler. There's the Joker. Spoilers for the Batman. Uh, there's Catwoman. There's you know the Penguin. All the four the four villains from the 1966 Batman movie on screen together in live action for the first time in you know decades. But it's really about Bruce Wayne coming to terms with his parents' death and trying to figure out how to serve the city, how to how to make what what the Batman as a symbol is supposed to be. And that's the point of his story. That's where at the end he's like, oh, I'm supposed to be a savior. I'm supposed to be a beacon of hope. I'm not supposed to just beat the crap out of people because that is inspiring the wrong people, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So in here, that's Caesar's sort of learns mercy and learns you know, uh, a, a better understanding of what justice is. And I, I think it's it's intriguing to have these two characters sort of on the on this pendulum representing apes and representing humans and and the movie you know the colonel himself presents them themselves he's like you know custer and you know all this presenting everybody like all these these rivalries throughout history and in different wars and and putting the two of them on that same level i think is really interesting because you have caesar the ape who's becoming more and more human as his story is going on and you have the Colonel, Colonel McCullough, the the human, who's becoming more and more animalistic and primal, and they're sort of meeting in the middle. I mean, the Colonel calls him out on that first time they meet, and he's like, "So emotional, that whole thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, this is war. This is per- this is business. Like, just you know, get your game face on. Why are you making it all personal?" And Caesar, meanwhile, is looking at it from a human perspective. You hurt my family. You're hurting my people. Like, I, I think that that sort of dichotomy is is really fascinating.
1: Absolutely, yeah. There, there's a lot of great stuff going on there, and yeah, I mean, just to bring it back to Woody Harrelson, he is so good in this. He's he uh, he, he, he really plays like every last uh, re- every last part of this character is we see it all, and you know he doesn't have like three movies. Like he's just introduced in this third yeah. one, but yet we we know so much about him. We 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 get such a clear idea of who this guy was and how he got to the point to basically be the last like battalion you know of humanity mm-hmm. basically in a way and uh he's just so damn mean and so good in this
0: yeah the fact that this movie presents him as he's the big bad the whole time you just didn't know about it and we're like yeah makes sense yeah uh, sure. i'm on board <laughs> you know I, I i yeah that's hard to do in the third movie of a trilogy to be like the villain is someone you've never heard of before but he's yeah. the oh, he's yeah he's the agent smith to uh to caesar he's the emperor palpatine uh, to the hero that you've been following the whole time. Yeah, I love that. Somehow uh, the colonel returned, basically. Yeah. Um, sure. And then you have Nova sort of in the middle representing kind of that cross-section of a human becoming more of like an animal. Uh, you have the whole thing where she's sort of they Nova, she's like, Nova ape? Like, she's like, am I an ape? Like, am I part of the group? Like, am I accepted, Etc. Yeah. Uh I thought that was really, you know, what do you think that the, the addition of that character brings here other than... Obviously, a callback to the original film because there's a, a mute woman named Nova in there as well. Sure.
1: Yeah. And I mean, she's also the setup for how, you know, they eventually accidentally take down Woody Harrelson at the yeah. end because of her doll. But um, yeah, no, it, it's also just an interesting, uh, you know, wrench to throw in in uh, Caesar's plans of, you know, making this trek across, you know, across the, these lands to get, you know, to, to the general and, uh, and take him down. And he has this new thing that he has to kind of worry about. He's reluctant at first, but uh, Maurice is insistent upon it. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the kind of kind of thing that could have just been like a distraction in a way, but I I Mm -hmm. think she's handled really well. And I think as a callback to the original, it's, it's a, it's an interesting way to throw in a reference point like that.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit, it's a little bit newt from aliens too, though. Which, but yeah. without the, but without you know, she does obviously doesn't have any lines, but it brings an outsider in and it gives the apes sort of someone to protect, uh, a liability at times mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. But there's also, like I said, she she doesn't talk. She's kind of becoming accepted into the the world of the apes, but she also still like cries when luca gets killed she she risks her life to go feed caesar when he's caged all of that i think is really interesting they they, they do a lot they do a lot more with the character of nova here than they do in the original movie where she's basically just there to be hot for charlton heston basically right. um which is again just the times it's just it's unfortunate to look back and be like oh there's two female characters one is zira she's awesome one is this just mute lady who's wearing essentially a bikini. So Charlton has to be like, oh, you're coming with me. I might need you down the yeah. line. Wink, wink. Sure. And we're like, okay, <laughs> take it easy, Taylor. Um, but yeah, so no, I I like, I, I think Nova brings a lot. I think it's, it, it, she's a connective tissue, I think, in a lot of ways right. between if this, you know, if this were to have been the last of this this reboot version of the franchise, obviously it's not because we're getting Kingdom. It, it felt like a, like a connective tissue to the original film. Like, okay, I got it. This goes back to this. It's all We're all good. Yeah. Um, like, you wouldn't have needed that. And also Maurice, again, bonding with another child character. He did that. He sort of uh, bonded with the, the the young boy in Dawn. Mm, I think yeah. that, that character has a lot of empathy to him. And I wanted to make sure we, we shouted out Karen Conoval as Maurice and Terry Notary as Rocket, who are in, I think, all three of these movies. I know... I think Karen and uh, Karen and Terry are in all three, they bring a lot to those characters, particularly, especially Maurice. Um, you, you know, you need right hand ape for Caesar to sort of lean on his confidant. And I think Maurice has such warmth to him, especially as the the only witness to Caesar's death. Spoilers at the end of this film. I think I think there's, there's that character brings a lot to the story, um, and, and you know the fact that it's, he's named after Maurice Evans, who played Zayas in the original film, uh, kind of representing the the most valuable orangutan from the franchise.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but Maurice is a great character, and you know it, it can't all be uh, y- you know these like action hero apes. Like it, <laughs> you've got to have right. like the full the full spectrum of of. You know, not humanity, of course, because it's, it's it's apes, but like having the full spectrum of characters of people that could potentially, you know, uh, take this small group of apes that are living out in the forest and and create a society out of them. They need elders like a Maurice and, and he's just beautifully, uh, you know, rendered throughout these three movies.
0: Yeah, they give us a full sort of supporting cast of characters in these in this franchise, which I think is really interesting. Of yeah. Maurice and Rocket, and obviously you know Caesar's family. We get Luca and Winter here, the ghost of Koba, which I can't believe that they brought Toby Kebbell back for like a couple shots. Amazing! Yeah. So I'm so glad that they did that because that character leaves such an impression. Yeah. Uh, in the in the previous two movies, um, we didn't talk yet about Steve Zahn. We got to talk about Steve Zahn. Yeah as as bad ape maybe bad ape sort of simultaneously i guess supposedly a comic relief character but also one of the saddest parts of this movie at the same time yeah. what, do, what do you think is it was bad ape a worthy addition this late in the franchise we already talked about uh nova and the colonel as sort of entering this third part of a, of a trilogy late late in the game what does Brad, bad ape have to do is uh in this movie and is does he deserve to be there
1: Bad ape rules. So yes, he deserves <laughs> to be there. He's so Bad fun. ape
0: should be the lead of the next one.
1: <laughs> I don't know about that, but um, <laughs> yeah, he, no, he absolutely rules. And you know, I was just saying about like with Maurice, like we need to see that there's a, a wide spectrum of apes that could start this new uh, society. We, we need bad apes in, in our, our new ape society. We need, you know, not everybody is this big leader like uh like Caesar or Maurice or any of these people we need people yeah. like uh Bad Ape. He's uh, he's a goof and he's uh he, he's just really sweet and kind of a goof, you know? <laughs> and he's just great. <laughs> and I love how Steve Zahn plays him. He just really creates such a character and uh, every every line he gets is just absolutely hilarious.
0: Yeah, he I think he he is he is a good addition. I agree with you. Like I think you need that character because one, he's got such a big heart and he leads them back to the, uh, I guess, internment camp for the apes that we see the, where the colonel's keeping everyone, including Cornelius, little Cornelius, the uh, uh, Caesar's baby. Again, another callback to the original films. Mm-hmm. And not only that, not only does he have a plot function, but he also apparently during dawn, Andy Serkis and probably Matt Reeves were both asked like, so you know, did the did the simian flu? Did the the drug the ALZ? ALZ I forget the name. This long like there's a whole long number for that uh, that yeah. that drug. Did it affect apes outside of Caesar's sort of uh, you know crew? The the people that were locked up with him in the original in Rise, and Bad Ape is sort of the answer that there are other apes out there who have developed the ability of to speak. They have developed you know higher brain function they are you know they are on caesar's level he just hasn't found them yet basically so i think it it, with that one character they open up the world and again the mythology so much we even it also continues the evolution now we get apes with clothes which is another step forward for Mm -hmm. things and that was sort of i think intended to kind of bring them closer and closer to you know where they are in the original movie i think it, it brings a whole it, it, it answers a lot of questions just having bad ape show up in the first place. And I think, you know, it to the point that when, when the, uh, the army shows up at the end of the movie, like when I saw it the first time, and i I've mentioned this on, on when the, when, uh, this movie came out, I mentioned this on the, formerly the crooked table podcast because mm-hmm. i did do an episode on on it then mm-hmm. that th- i was expecting that army to be just be an army of apes like i was expecting them to take their helmets off and they were a bunch of apes and were like hey we've been looking oh, no. for you caesar and they didn't do that uh instead they went a different way which we'll get to in a second but i love the idea that we've been following caesar and yes he's this leader and this revolutionary for the apes but also there's a lot of world out there and there are a lot of apes that haven't met Caesar, and so maybe the, this his story is sort of just one of many sort of uprisings that's been happening all over the world. And I love that. Pat Abe sort of indicates a, a larger world there.
1: Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's like this one small little seed of what could also be out there. And if we weren't getting future Planet of the Apes movies, which I mean, you know, of course it's 21st century movie making. Of course yeah. we're getting
0: more. Disney popular. owns it now. So yeah, we're so going to get a Disney plus show about that, da- about, about bad ape, bad ape yeah, probably uh, next.
1: I'm sure. I'm sure. But, uh, but if we weren't though, like that would be enough where like, you just have that seed of an idea of like, like uh, there's more out there to be explored and uh, it's all going to happen whether we see it or not.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um I let's see what else. What else did I want to point out? Uh I love that you know in this movie the gorillas are used for muscle. We sort of get like that that uh the the different species of ape kind of finding their niche like uh, the the chimpanzees are more the philosophers and the scientists in the original movie and the orangutans are like the politicians and the gorillas are like in the army and in the military. I, I love that you're starting to see that kind of already happening at this point in the in the plot line. Yeah. Um we, we keep talking about how this movie is so dark and it's, you know, kind of a bummer to watch at times. And yet there's a whole plot point where they throw their poop and that, that is sort of a, uh, how they, how they, you know, I guess, create a distraction, which I thought was really funny for this movie. Yeah. Uh, did that, did that feel tonally aligned to you or are you just, Oh, thank you. Something a little, <laughs> a little lighter. I, I could use that. Yeah. I
1: mean, it certainly didn't bother me. Like it was, it was, it worked really well and it was funny and like, you know, the movie (laughs) needed a few moments. So uh, you got that, and you got bad apes. So that works.
0: Yeah. It's, it's also a little self-aware of the apes. They're like, Oh, we have a superpower. We can just throw poop at them. (laughs) Um, um, There's also a little bit of like the, the iconography of the beach, them, them riding the horses on the beach feels sort of uh, like a callback to the Statue of Liberty, obviously at the end of the first movie, Uh, the desert where they're going. To, to be free where Caesar gets to be like full on Moses by the end of this movie. Uh, the desert is, is totally the forbidden zone from the original movie, which I thought was really cool. Uh, apes together, strong, etc. Uh You even see at one point, I think they have the, the, the uh, alpha Omega, the military unit has s- s- written somewhere. Like they have a banner or something. This is only the only good Kong is a dead Kong, which I is a variation of a phrase that was used towards Native Americans. So again, it's sort of this franchise is so incisive and so like not subtle with its social commentary. I mean, you see that in the original movies, particularly uh with their the commentary on race and things like that. Like they, there's there's straight up a the one human character I think that sympathizes with caesar the previous version of caesar in conquest is a black man who's like listen i understand what you're going through believe me my people used to be slaves too and things like that like they they do not shy away from that and so i love that this movie uh, literalizes that in in so many ways um i we have to talk about michael Giacchino's score in this yes. thing yes. you're a composer yourself what are your thoughts on on michael giacchino and his work here
1: Oh my God. Well, first of all, in 2019, I did a uh, special piecing it together on the top 10 scores of the decade. And this was my number three.
0: Nice.
1: I I, I love this score so much. It it, like mixes so many genres, just like this entire series has really. But like you get, you get that like almost like Morricone style going on. You've got, Mm -hmm. uh, you've got like totally classic orchestral stuff. You got stuff that feels very jungle uh, mixed with, big giant blockbuster cues and like it, it does everything that you hope from this kind of a movie, but then also with all kinds of like exciting and interesting and unique kind of flourishes. And yeah, I mean, it is one of the best uh, composers working right now, obviously the Batman um, just last year, but uh, yeah, it's, it's an incredible score and one of my favorites to like just put on and listen to.
0: Yeah. I, I think in a lot of ways, Dawn is probably still my personal favorite from this trilogy and this franchise. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think in a lot of ways, war is a sharper production and the visual yeah. effects are a little better. I think this is Michael Giacchino's uh, strongest score from this trilogy. For, actually, I don't know if he did the music in the first one. I think that was someone else, but uh, of the two that he did of dawn and, and war, I do think his score here is the stronger one. Um, yeah, it's yeah. I think there might even be some callbacks in there. There to are. the original film. Like there are yeah. some, the cues there as well. Yeah. It's really, it, it's, I've been listening to it a lot the last couple of weeks since kind of gearing up for this episode. So it's, it's definitely has a lot of replay value. And again, it, it, it leans into that like historical epic side of this uh, in a lot of ways, but also the, the quiet character beats. It's yeah. that's a hard balance to hit, to do both of those equally well. And Michael Ciccino, you, like you mentioned the Batman, he does that again there in a pitch perfect way um is there anything specifically about this movie that we haven't talked about that you wanted to make sure we mentioned before we before we move on i mean i i i I have one more thing i wanted to say which is i love that blockbusters are apparently less and less afraid of killing off their heroes Mm. i think that's pretty ballsy i i will not cite a much more recent example uh but i guess I, i guess i will bring up the Bond franchise. I'll bring sure. that up. I'll throw that yeah. out there. Batman almost did it. So like, I love that they're getting to the point where, where no, where even the, the top line hero is not safe. I think it, it you know, it, it adds stakes and it. You know, there's, it's like one of the silver linings of shared universe storytelling, right? Is that you can kill your main character, but that doesn't mean the studio heads don't have to lose their minds. Cause you can still continue the franchise in that world just yeah. with a different character. Um, so I, I appreciate that this movie was willing to go for it.
1: No, that's a good point. And uh, yeah, not, not enough movies nowadays have stakes, especially to bring up superheroes again. Um, yep. You, you know, it's just that kind of robs the stakes completely when, you know, we got multiverses and all that crap. So it, <laughs> yeah. it's, you know, definitely makes things difficult, uh, difficult, but uh, yeah, I, I think we like hit all the main points that I wanted to get to. I mean, I, I can't say enough great things about this movie.
0: Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, So what, in your opinion, what is the legacy of the Planet of the Apes franchise? What does this contribute to cinema? I mean, especially going into now, we're going to be going into the 10th film in this franchise, the fourth in the rebooted uh, version of it. What is the legacy of Planet of the Apes?
1: I think um, one of the major things is uh, like a simple one sentence sci-fi idea and then like really running with it mm-hmm. like you know to to like describe what this series is you could you could do that pretty easily in like a one or two sentence pitch yeah. and then and then run with it and build that world out and like you know really fill it with all kinds of interesting plots and 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 characters and uh you know that that's like the main thing that i think you get from from this series as a whole, I think you, you get that kind of uh, storytelling in which you you come up with one really great seed of an idea and just run from there. And not enough, uh, not enough people are able to do that, unfortunately. But uh, when it does happen, it's great.
0: And this franchise, I think, in a lot of ways, is one of the earliest, uh, the earliest incarnations of franchise filmmaking. You go back and look at the history of sequelizing things i i think beneath the planet of the apes is one of the earlier ones like there were not a lot of film franchises like this where you know we had the original film in 68 and then 70 71 72 73 uh four sequels in four years like That's wild yeah. that wasn't that wasn't a thing that happened this is before star wars this is before star trek this is be- certainly before any superhero thing happened uh, and so I think it was kind of ahead a of the curve in a lot of ways there. And it, and it managed now to reinvent itself and have like a lot of references and callbacks to the other films without sort of rehashing things or eating its own tail, basically like Dawn right. is the only one in this reboot trilogy that doesn't have sort of a direct correlation. I think this one, a lot of people sort of say it has similar thematically to battle for the planet of the apes and rise has, like a lot of shades of conquest, but those are very different movies. At the same time, I think it, it manages to pull that off. And there's something spiritual about this one, which I think is is a of uh, uh, an element that's not really in the previous um, uh, previous installments in the franchise. You know, I I'm watching it this time that avalanche that occurs at the end of the movie, like you can almost read that as like nature or fate or the universe or God or whoever is making their judgment on like man's time is over yeah. apes. You, 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 you do your thing now, which is that a do, uh, you know, a do ex machina situation. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, you could read into it what you want to read into. It. And I think that's another, like they, they keep finding to your point, they keep finding new layers and new shades to play within the, the concept of, but what if earth, but apes, you know, and <laughs> yeah. nine movies later, here we are and we're all excited for Kingdom. So, wh- What do you want to see next from this? Like, where do we go from here, I guess?
1: Well, I guess this is kind of related to that question. I'll, I'll answer it in a second. But I did want to ask you, like, I don't know if you've maybe yeah. discussed this at all through any of these other conversations, but has another like series that was successful and had a bunch of sequels ever survived a, a, a flop as bad as a Tim Burton, <laughs> you know, reboot and then have a whole nother reboot and get back on track after that. Like, I don't think like so. a reboot
0: attempt, Uh
1: reboot, then a reboot, but like the one in the middle was really bad. The only
0: one that's really, really jumping to mind at the moment. And it wasn't even like a, a flaw. I mean, that's the thing that the the Tim Burton one made money. Like it did. Okay. Mm-hmm. financially but it was critics were like no thank you and then fans were like eh, we're moving on they, they were developing a sequel for a while and then i think somebody at fox was just like yeah this is nobody cares let's just move yeah. on to other things which is probably a good call um and the only one that's jumping out to me is superman returns mm-hmm. because you had those yeah. movies with christopher reeve they sort of petered out kind of like the planet of the apes movies did uh, in the early 70s and then Superman Returns. The, the thing that's different there is that Superman Returns was Brian Singer trying to tap into Richard Donner and continue oh, to right. st- have a story in that universe. It was sort of again, it was sort of ahead of its time in the way that like you know uh, David Gordon Green's Halloween is like okay, but the first one counts and none of the rest of them because Superman Returns was a sequel to Superman Two, not Superman Four: The Quest for Peace. Um, I believe, we but again, prequel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's kind of its own. Yeah, it's an anomaly, which is why at some point I'm definitely going to do the, you know, these the, the the original Reeve Superman run and Superman Returns. Nice. Uh, but then of course that was followed up by Man of Steel, mm-hmm. which did that did that franchise work. I mean, I, we're still trying to figure out what the hell's going on with DC. So yeah, that's yeah. you know, <laughs> I, I guess it was it was a it, it was more. Um, it was more successful than Superman Returns and that we saw that version of Superman a few more times before he yeah. uh, sh- he announced his return and then disappeared again, um, uh, which is very yeah. strange. But, yeah, that's the <laughs> only way. They, there's not a lot. I'm, we're going to see more and more of it now as studios just constantly reheat the same right. properties over and right. over.
1: Well, and I guess that would be like to your question, that would be exactly where I want to go is like, please don't make this just that. You know, just mm-hmm. like, hey, remember Planet of the Apes? Here's some more of them. Like, yeah. like, have a reason to bring it back after right. such an amazing trilogy of movies. And like, you know, you, y- I don't think you can capture Caesar in a bottle again. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. you can't just do that again. So have a really good idea other than just, hey, it's more Planet of the Apes. I, I hope Kingdom is doing something interesting with this world.
0: Yeah, having... Cornelius be the main character uh, and having it build off of these films, I think is a step in the right direction. Cause yeah, I would hate for them to just five years from now, just be like, Oh, and we're going to start over again. I'm like, you know, I, that's, that's the thing that's getting frustrating, not to keep going back to superheroes, but it's hard not to, when they, they're constantly on my Twitter feed, uh, (laughs) people constantly arguing about stuff, a trailer for whatever and all this discourse back and forth. Um, But it's gotten to the point where it's like, let's just continue telling those stories. Like, stop rebooting and restarting things. Like, Robert Downey Jr. doesn't want to come back to play Iron Man, and you want to tell more Iron Man stories, then get someone else to play Iron Man. James Bond has been doing it for decades. Like, you don't have to tell the origin story again, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they just did it with Batman, and they're going to do it again with Batman. So it's like, it's starting to get. And as much as I love the Batman, it, it's an unnecessary, it's an antiquated approach to these characters. We all know who they are. Just. Keep moving, you know, I think is is the better approach. So I'm I'm relieved slash hopeful that they're at least continuing what we've already seen instead of, you know, wiping the slate clean again and being like, okay, but now we're going to find a different entry point. I'm like, well, we, we already set up something that really works. So why don't you just keep using that until it doesn't work, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, so... Obviously in nine movie franchise we're not doing the uh, traditional ranking but did you have any any you know insight into how you would put these films in order the ones you've seen at least
1: I mean yeah I would I I honestly feel like I would just rank this recent trilogy um mm-hmm. I haven't seen the original in many many years um and I remember loving it at the time but it's yeah. been so long since I've actually watched it so just to rank these three uh, I, I would go uh, War first and mm-hmm. uh, then probably Rise um, and then Dawn. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I just I really love all three, though. It's a really difficult thing to, to rank.
0: Yeah, it's definitely like it's a trilogy that should be in the conversation more when people are, are constantly throwing around like, what's the best movie trilogy, et cetera. And everybody, obviously, Lord of the Rings, but the before trilogy and Dark Knight, et cetera, Godfather, things like that. Like, I feel like these movies should be at least in the mix more yeah. often than not. Because they're, all, like you are saying, all three of them are really strong. Like, you can prefer Rise or Dawn or War, but, like, there's no wrong answer. Those are, like, three great movies. So, yeah. um, it's not, there's no drop-off there. There's no... There's no Godfather 3 in that bunch, essentially. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, hopefully we'll see. Hopefully the kingdom will keep that going strong. Uh, I'm not a... I've never seen the Maze Runner movies, but it's the guy that did the Maze Runner trilogy. Right, West right. Ball, yeah. which I'm going to have to now check those out in advance of Kingdom to kind of get a sense of his style. But I've heard they're good, so, uh, you know, I'll take people's word for it. But, uh, yeah, that's well, pretty much Chase everything. Casey's in it,
1: so... Uh, yeah, that, that's uh, he's definitely going to be...
0: He's definitely going to be a villain, I would assume.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: He's going to be he's going to be the human heavy, the uh, Hasleen from Escape, or uh, you know, the Colonel from this movie. Mm. But yeah, that's all I have for the Planet of the Apes uh, mega series. Uh, this is this has been really interesting to go back and rewatch these nine movies spanning so many decades. But thanks so much, David Rosen, for coming on to talk War for the Planet of the Apes. Can you tell people where they can find you and Piecing It Together on social media?
1: Yes, absolutely. And thanks so much for having me on this final episode of of this series. But uh, yeah, you can find Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on social media at Piecing Pod and our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces.
0: Excellent. Thanks a bunch, David. This was a blast. Big thanks to David Rosen from the Piecing It Together podcast for coming on to help us close out the Planet of the Apes mega-series by discussing 2017's War for the Planet of the Apes. Normally, this is the point where I run through everybody's rankings, but as you probably have heard in this episode and throughout this mega-series, I didn't really make everybody watch all nine movies and give me a rundown of all nine, because a lot of these films, even by fans of this franchise, that's what I think is kind of interesting— Uh, of Planet of the Apes specifically haven't seen all nine films at least half of these I think are widely underseen but specifically beneath through battle Uh, I think a lot of people unless they're really really hardcore fans of this or had a reason to uh, to catch up with the franchise uh, at some other point a lot of them haven't even seen those it's a lot of the original film uh, the Tim Burton one and the more recent three So it's been interesting to kind of see where everybody stands on this. But I did want to take this opportunity to thank everyone that has joined me to talk apes. Uh, Big thanks to Thomas Green of Perpetual Cinema, came on to talk about the original 1968 film. Jeremiah Stewart of Let's Talk came on to talk about Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Uh, Film critic Sarah Michelle Fetters came on to discuss Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Uh, Ryan Luis Rodriguez of One Track Mind came on to discuss, discuss Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, Author and actor John Wegley came on to discuss Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Lauren Knight of That Movie is Fine came on to discuss the 2001 Tim Burton reimagining, I guess. Uh, Film critic Nguyen Lee came on to discuss Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Jason from Binge Movies, as you heard last episode, came on to discuss Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. And then, as you just heard, David Rosen of Piecing It Together came on to discuss war and close it out. So really, I'm really proud of this group of guests. I'm really proud of the coverage that we did on this franchise. I think it was a really interesting, wide-ranging discussion. And I look forward to getting even deeper in the weeds on our next mega-series, which will be starting in July... And that is the X Men films. the tenth mega series. X is the Roman numeral for ten, as you know. So leaning into that, and it's the twenty third anniversary of the original film. We'll be launching. So really, I guess I think I'm trying to will into the universe, uh, having Daphne Keene's X twenty three part of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe going forward. So hopefully, I can make that happen just by putting it into the uh, into the ether. But yeah, so we'll be taking a, a few weeks off from this podcast, uh, coming back with a couple like late June, early July, standalone episodes, and then July 14th, 2023, kicking off with uh, X-Men from 2000, and that's already been recorded, so you have yeah, that one at least to look forward to, and as of this recording, I'm lining up the, uh, the rest of the original trilogy and then kind of piecing my way through phases of the X-Men franchise, so that'll be an interesting ride, an even longer mega-series, Uh, I am nothing if not ambitious when it comes to this show so stick around for that in July And I want to know what was your favorite film of this mega series what's your favorite film in the Planet of the Apes franchise I'm probably going to put a Twitter poll out there with the four most popular entries in the series but I want to know from you directly let me know you can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table the same handle on Instagram via email at robert at crookedtable.com for now that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production we'll be back talking all things x-men that's 10 films minus the new mutants which is not real i don't care even if i've seen it and uh, minus the deadpools which we'll get to probably next year timed with deadpool 3 but that's still 10 x-men ensemble movies and wolverine spinoffs prequels reboots etc time travel all kinds of good stuff so we'll be back in july with that until then catch you the next stop everyone